0: Your Bibles to Galatians, Chapter Two. I asked you. At the beginning of our series in Galatians, a question. I asked you, what is required? What what else is required once you place your faith in Christ? Once you have become a Christian, what else? What else must you do to remain in God's good graces? That's a very pertinent question for all of Galatians. It's especially relevant for these verses at the start of chapter 2. So Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia to address some accusations that some folks were raising. Folks were claiming that Paul's gospel was incomplete. It didn't go far enough. Faith in Jesus? Oh, that's fine, they said, but you can't stop there. You haven't arrived until you've added to Jesus the laws of Moses. Those are very important, Paul. You can't just get rid of them. Jesus is a good start, but you're not done especially these Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ, they're not done until they've become good Jews like us. And they're keeping the law of Moses like us, namely, and most importantly, being circumcised. And these folks take great umbrage When Paul keeps saying, oh, no, 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 Christ alone. Jesus is enough. He did all you ever need. Now, this is a very important distinction for Paul. So important, in fact, that if this distinction is not preserved in the church, He thinks everything in his ministry will have been a waste and will go down the tubes. So as we dig into these verses this morning, I want to ask, do you think the specific content of the gospel, the the nuts and bolts, what does the gospel message contain, is it really that important? Is it as important as Paul is making it out to be? Is it worth arguing over to try to get the details of the gospel nailed down, squared away, and, and get them right? Would you dare even come to the point where you would say that someone wasn't a Christian based on the details of the gospel that they believe? I want you to think about that as we read. I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able. Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. This is the Word of God. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to do this is God's inspired inerrant infallible and authoritative word let's submit ourselves to it now even as we pray to the Lord father would you help us would you help us with the details of the gospel Paul thought it was a really big deal confirm in our hearts from your word that it is a big deal and show us, Holy Spirit, why it's a big deal and what, what the problems are that will crop up if we don't get the gospel right. And Help us most of all, most importantly of all, to bank our very lives on this gospel. To trust it and it alone and nothing in addition to it. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Paul's law-free gospel was under attack. All kinds of accusations were flying about Paul, about his apostleship, about his gospel, about who he got his gospel from, about how he got his gospel. Whatever holes his opponents could try to poke they were trying to poke him whatever they could do to try to undermine his gospel message that said Christ is all you need you don't need the mosaic law anymore for a right relationship with God whatever they could do to attack his law-free gospel they did and so it finally gets to the point where Paul says all right I need to take a road trip. And I'm taking Barnabas with me, of course. Hmm, who else should I take with me on this little road trip of mine? I'm going to take Titus. I'm going to take this gospel that I've been preaching for more than 10 years now, this Jesus plus nothing gospel of mine, and I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to take Titus along with me. This uncircumcised Gentile friend of mine who has placed his faith in Christ. I'm going to take him with me. Because he has not added to his faith in Christ the laws of Moses. He's not been circumcised. This is pretty bold on Paul's part. Kind of daring, Paul wants to force this issue. He wants this to come to a boiling point. He wants to see what the rest of the apostles in Jerusalem have to say about it. So let's look first at the result. I'm going to give you kind of a a real fast summary of what the passage is about, and then we're going to dig in uh, to the the points there on, on the outline in your worship folder. What's the result of this road trip, of this meeting, of of forcing the issue? Verse 3, Titus was not forced to be circumcised. Law-free gospel, 1. False teachers, 0. What was the result of their meeting? Look at verse 6. The apostles that were there When Paul said, hey, here it is. It's what I've been preaching for more than ten years. This is the gospel of Christ. What do you got to say about it? They added nothing. They added not a single thing to what Paul had been preaching. They changed nothing. They added nothing. They affirmed the law-free gospel Paul had been preaching. Law-free gospel Two false teachers zero. They didn't add a single thing. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I made up a gospel law of addition. right? Kind of like this foundational thing about multiplication. If you multiply anything by zero, you get zero. So the gospel law of addition from a couple of weeks ago that I made up, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's good news here that the apostles did not add anything to the gospel Paul had been preaching. What's the result of the meeting? Look, finally, at verse nine. So he didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't add to the gospel. In fact, they give him this right hand of fellowship. So this weird thing in Christian circles goes all the way back to the first century. I'd like to give you the right hand of fellowship, right? It means they approve. full approval. They said, Paul, we're on the same page with you. Your law-free gospel is the gospel. So now three for three. It's a great result for Paul. It's a great win for the gospel. But, but it's possible to read these few verses here and miss what a really big deal it is. It's possible to look at these and say, well, here's some more travel details and here's some more names and and." What's the big deal? It's possible to miss how crucial this was for the history of the church. That might seem like exaggeration to you or hyperbole. Paul certainly thought this was a do or die moment. Life or death. Did you pick up on how he talked about it in verse 2? He said, I had to make this trip to make sure I wasn't running in vain. I had to to make this trip to make sure that this wasn't all for naught. Really? That serious? And then in verse 4, he's got sort of this language of espionage, like this sinister mission of, Folks in secret coming in and slipping in and spying out, and if they succeed, the result will be slavery. Really, Paul? I mean it's it's just a few little do's and don'ts. Paul said in verse five, we're not budging on this. Not an inch not for a moment, zero tolerance for any additions to the gospel. So what's the big deal? What does it hurt if somebody comes to faith in Christ and then decides to be circumcised? Is that really so dangerous? Will keeping a few of Moses' laws really enslave people? Could a negative outcome to Paul's trip to Jerusalem really have spelled disaster for the church as we know it? Yes, yes, and yes. Adding to the gospel really is that serious. Three things that I want us to see this morning about adding to the gospel. Addition is division. Addition is betrayal. And addition is redundant. Number one addition is division, which sounds like a mathematical conundrum. But where the gospel is concerned, adding to the gospel inevitably leads to division in the church. Go back to verse 2 again. Paul is afraid. He says, man, I might have been running in vain this whole time. By this point, he's been preaching and planting churches for over 10 years, and he fears that it all might have been a waste of time. Now, here's an important question, because we might just casually read this and say, oh, he's, he's afraid that he might have gotten the gospel wrong. That, that's one way that you could read this. I was afraid, I had to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain, And so he's going to Jerusalem to make sure he got the gospel right. Right? No. No. We've seen already. There's not a chance that that is the case. He's convinced of the gospel. He received it from the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus road as recorded in Acts 9. And if you remember back to chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, this dire warning he gave. Do you remember that? When he said, hey guys even if I come back at a later time and preach to you a different gospel, and then let me double down on this and up the ante a little bit, even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches to you a different gospel, what's the result that he says should happen? Let them be damned to hell for eternity. Anathema, he says. So he's not exactly... Uncertain about his gospel. What he is uncertain about. What he is fearful for. Is the future of the church. He's afraid that there will be a division. Over the gospel because of the addition. And there will end up being in essence two churches. There will be a church who has Jesus plus. Moses, and a church who has Jesus alone, and the two can never be reconciled together. Adding to the gospel divides. Now, in the first century, that division was pretty clear along the lines of circumcision and uncircumcision. Which, that wasn't the only thing. It was kind of the entirety of the ceremonial law that Moses had spelled out. But circumcision just serves as a good representative for the whole of the Mosaic law. And so in the first century, that's how the dividing line would have been. Circumcised and uncircumcised. So our additions today, right, 2017 in Orangeburg, South Carolina, there's not a similar dividing line created by our additions to the gospel. But there are still things that we're adding to the gospel. Things that we say either officially or unofficially, where we say, oh yes, Jesus is fine. Believe in Jesus. But if you're really going to be serious about being a Christian, well then, there are a few things that you certainly won't do, and a few things that you certainly will do. Certainly you won't drink or dance or play cards or vote for that political party. Certainly you won't watch that type of movie or read that type of book. You couldn't possibly do those things and call yourself a Christian. And you most definitely will dress a certain way. And you will use this particular translation of the Bible. And you will be baptized or else you're not really saved. And you will join this particular church. And you will vote for this particular party. Because if you don't do these things and you don't not do these things, how could you possibly consider yourself a Christian? We add these things to the gospel and we divide. And I think that we roughly divide the church into two groups. So if you're taking notes in your worship folder, I want you to write these two groups down. One group is arrogant. The other group is anxious and depressed. Did you pick up on that in our confession of sin again? I want you to connect these dots with me. I think this is important. People add to the gospel. It divides the church roughly into these two groups. One is arrogant. Folks become arrogant as they see themselves succeeding in checking off the boxes of the things that they've added to the gospel. Start to feel pretty good about yourself. I am doing, look at those. Every single box has a little check in it. I'm doing pretty good, if I do say so myself. The Arrogance creeps in. And part of the division in the church is then when I say, I'm doing pretty good. What is wrong with that guy? His boxes are not checked off. Like mine are. What's up with him? Is he lazy? Does he not care? He's just not as serious as I am. And we are divided. The other group is anxious and depressed. Uh, I'm not really as good at keeping all these rules, not as disciplined. In fact, you know what? I, I'm, a, I'm a screw up and a failure. Gosh, I'm probably not doing enough, am I? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not doing as well as that guy. I'll never measure up. And I become a slave to these little boxes, I become a slave to these do's and don'ts that have been added to this gospel. And I wrestled a bit with verse 4 this week, and I asked myself the question, why? Why would somebody want to do this? Why would somebody want to add to the gospel? See, verse 4 says they snuck in, they spied out this freedom that we have in Christ. Because that's really what Paul's gospel was, was a gospel free of the law's demands. A gospel free of boxes to check off. So why would someone want to trade freedom for slavery? And I don't necessarily think that was the intent of these false teachers. I don't think that they woke up one day and said, Yay, slavery! How can we do that? But I think what Paul is giving us is a commentary about the effects of what they did. The effects of what they did did lead back to slavery and not freedom in Christ. See, I don't think that they set out for slavery. I think, possibly, they had a good reason for adding to the gospel. What if it went like this? You know what? If I... If I add some do's and don'ts here, I think it'll be a little easier to manage. I think it'll be a little easier to figure this thing out and see if I'm measuring up. Because honestly, what Jesus laid out, it was just a little lacking on the details, it was a little vague. I mean, all this love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a little hard to quantify, don't you think? That's a little hard to know at the end of the day. Did I, did I do that? Was it, was it all my heart and, and all my... There may have been a little bit of my strength that got left out. Oh, and this neighbor. I don't even understand what that means. Love your neighbor as yourself. Gosh, that's just hard. I can't know how I measure up with something that vague and that lacking in details. How will I ever know that I've done enough if that's all it is? How will I know that I'm at least doing better than that guy over there if we don't spell this thing out some more? See, I, I think when folks are adding to the gospel, they're, they're wanting to know how they measure up. They're wanting to know if they're succeeding or not. But what they fail to see is the whole point of love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole point of that is to show you that you couldn't possibly measure up. Never. It's an impossible standard that you can't come close to meeting so that all that you're left with at the end of the day is to fling yourself on the mercy of the only one who ever did meet the standard. See, that's the gospel. That's the true gospel. That's the law-free gospel. The Jesus-only gospel that Paul was bound and determined to protect and to preserve and promote and defend. That God's holy, absolute standard has only ever been met by one person, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that the only proper response to that gospel is is faith. Is to come with empty hands. Empty hands showing I got nothing. I got nothing and I'm going to grab hold of this gospel and I'm going to cling to it as tightly as I can. His death for mine. His righteousness for my sin. See, when we believe that... That unites us in a way that unites us in our common need. That unites us in our common inability to ever measure up. That unites us in a way by a bond that can never be broken. Addition is division. Number two, addition is betrayal. These last two are much shorter. Adding to the gospel betrays. What you really believe. What you really trust. Verse 4 again. Paul calls these folks that have been raising these allegations, these accusations. He calls them false brothers. He doesn't say enemies. He doesn't say opponents. He doesn't even say false teachers here. He says false brothers snuck in. Slipped in. See, these folks would not have considered themselves outsiders. They would have considered themselves Christians. And Paul says, Paul dares to say, no, you're not. No, you're not. You now, that's, that's bold some might say, well, that's not very charitable of Paul. It's unkind. It's a big deal to tell someone who thinks they're a Christian, no, you're not. Especially if it's just for just for obeying a few little laws. I mean, what could be so bad about that? This would, after all, be someone who says, I believe in Jesus. I've placed my faith in Jesus. I just want to cross a few T's and dot a few I's just to be on the safe side. Is that enough to claim that someone's not a Christian? Is adding a few do's and don'ts enough to negate what they say about trusting Christ? I think it is. Because addition is betrayal. It betrays what you really believe. It betrays what you really trust in. If faith in Christ is the right response to the gospel, and it is, trust me, that faith is saying, I believe this thing, I trust this thing, I trust in what Christ did for me. The righteous life that he lived, I I trust that for me. The, The sacrificial death that he died, I trust that for me. You receive it by faith. You say, I trust it. But then, if you add other things on top of that, just to be sure, it betrays the fact that you do not indeed trust what you said that you trusted. It's a logical impossibility to say, I trust this thing, but let me do these other little things just to be sure. Addition is betrayal. Thirdly, addition is redundant. This is something I, I didn't really begin to see or, or think much about until yesterday. Thinking back through these verses. In verse 7, I was just struck by this one gospel being sufficient both for the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That, that's pretty impressive. When, when Paul and the rest of the apostles were, were realizing in all of this meeting and talking about the gospel, realizing, yes, Paul, you've been entrusted with the gospel to take it to the uncircumcised, and, and Peter's been entrusted to take it to the, to the circumcised, That's pretty impressive. So so this one gospel is sufficient for the circumcised, for those who've been faithful to the Jewish faith, to those who have been God-fearers and God-worshippers, who then complete the cycle and place their faith in the promised Messiah. The gospel is for them. But it's also for the uncircumcised, for the Gentiles, for the pagans, who haven't given Yahweh the time of day, who've been worshiping all kinds of other gods and idols and doing hedonistic things that I wouldn't dare describe in present company. The gospel's for them too. Nothing has to be added to the gospel or changed about the gospel. It is sufficient for both. Adding anything to the gospel would be redundant. It's not necessary. Now, with that being said, I'm sure that Paul probably emphasized a few different things and maybe presented the one true gospel slightly differently to his pagan audience than Peter would to his God-fearing Jewish audience. I think the same thing is true today. gospel is sufficient needs not be added to or changed now our groups today again don't have the same labels today we're not dealing with a group that is circumcised and uncircumcised but I think our groups are roughly parallel that we do have religious folks and we have irreligious folks and they both need the gospel Because see, people are seeking salvation both ways. They're, they're seeking to make life work, to, to, for it to have meaning and significance. Some through keeping all the rules, and others through pretending that the rules don't exist. And here's how the glorious gospel of free grace in Jesus is sufficient for both, without change or addition, to the religious to the rule keepers, to those thinking that they're okay if they dot enough I's and cross enough T's, to those people the gospel confronts and says, you'll never be enough. It's not possible to cross enough T's. In fact, your T crossing and I dotting, it's not really up to snuff anyway. Everything you've been done, your whole cadre of work has been weighed and found Wanting. All you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of the court and cling to the one, the only one, who ever did dot the I's and cross the T's. So that's the gospel to the religious. What about to the irreligious? What about to those who've thrown out all the rules? Two things I think the gospel says to address the irreligious. The first is this. The gospel to the irreligious says, you know what? Pursue every pleasure. Pursue every pleasure, every vice, every desire and lust you can think of, and you will never, ever find satisfaction until you're satisfied in the arms of your Creator. The one in whose image you were created, the one whom you were created purposefully, hardwired from the womb to be absolutely and completely restless until you find your satisfaction in Him. That's the first thing the gospel would say to the irreligious. The second thing is this. You know what person who's thrown out all the rules? In your, in your quest, in your thirst, in your pursuit, you've done a lot of shady things. You've done a lot of terrible things, but you have never once gone beyond the reach of saving grace. You're not strong enough or capable enough to even do such a thing. Your biggest failure is no match for the depth of the mercy and grace available in Christ. So whether you've been trying to be a good little boy or a good little girl to stay in the Father's good graces or you've run away from Him and made a royal mess of your life, the law-free gospel of grace in Jesus is all you will ever need. Let's pray. Lord, I thank